0: Welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Jason Lee. Jason is a highly recognized real estate broker in the multifamily space. He's currently one of the top producing commercial real estate agents in San Diego County. His transactions and insight have even been shared with the San Diego Business Journal and Co-Star. Uh, In the last couple of years, Jason has represented over 75 investors and sold over $150 million worth of real estate in the San Diego County. Uh, And not only is Jason a prominent real estate investor, he's also himself a very active multifamily investor. He has acquired over 15 properties over the last 12 months, and he's the owner and operator of over $30 million worth of real estate in San Diego County, totaling totaling just over um, 65 units. Jason welcome to the show Eric thanks for having me it's a pleasure yeah so that's uh that's pretty impressive that's uh so tell us more about kind of like the uh how you got into uh, becoming a real estate broker a commercial real estate broker there's a lot of people that you know they start uh, you know getting involved in real estate as an agent and all that kind of stuff and then it kind of uh, ends there. They kind of like, they just keep money paying their dues and stuff like that. And they don't really do that many transactions. I, I heard like there was only like 5% of the, the real estate uh, agents out there are actually making money. <laughs> the rest <laughs> are just uh, contributing for the, paying for the office. Um, so tell us more about that. How, how do people get and How did you get in that business? Why were you interested in that and um, all that?
1: Yeah. So um, like you said, there's a very small amount of people that are in commercial real estate that are actually licensed as agents. Um, I think I got lucky how I fell into it. I met um, the owner of a multifamily brokerage down here in San Diego uh, at a networking event when I was still in school at San Diego State University. And uh, me and him hit it off and had a good conversation and invited me back to his office. And before I was licensed, I started there as an intern And I learned from like the 25 to 30 guys that were there and asked a lot of questions and um, kind of fell into it, you know, just through talking to the right people, meeting everyone I could. I knew I didn't want to do residential because um, I didn't want to work weekends and uh, do open houses and, you know, worry about the emotional side of real estate. I'm more of a numbers guy and commercial real estate is more about the numbers. So um, it just fit my personality a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, yeah. You, when you do residential, you have a, especially
0: when you do, uh, you deal with people that are uh, what's the word? <clears throat> They're planning to live in that house and stuff like that. Yes, definitely, or they want to sell their home that they have lived in for ten years. It's definitely a lot more uh, emotional and a lot more yes, yeah, less less numbers driven, and they they would walk away from a house because they don't like the the kitchen counter yeah. or something like that. And um, and I do I do a lot of single family rentals, as you know, but they're rentals. So it's the same kind of thing, too. Like we can really go through these uh, as commercial properties. We just look at the numbers and it becomes more and more like a financial products. I'm also a very numbers guy. So I actually don't even uh, I mean, we, we invest remotely. So we don't even see the property most most of the time, except maybe some some pictures of renovations and stuff like that. But that's pretty in- interesting that uh, you decide to jump in into that and uh, and do it yourself but still i mean you work with 75 investors so how do you get these um these 75 investors into in- be able to help them and stuff like that how are you promoting yourself and what kind of kind of like services do you offer that may be a little bit different than some other real estate brokers out there
1: yeah, uh, that's a great question. The bio is a little outdated. It's probably somewhere over like a hundred, a little over a hundred investors God, now. Um, but now, I mean, I think how I grew that base honestly was just um, to be completely honest with you is just being on the phones and calling owners and seeing who's looking to transact and who's looking to buy, who's looking to sell. And um, I think just you know hearing no a million times and getting a couple of yeses eventually led to some deals in my pocket. And then From there, I got, you know, more listings and, you know, more buyer leads, put myself out there, do a lot of marketing. But in the beginning, I think as a commercial real estate broker, you just got to just pound the pavement and talk to as many people as you can, because no one knows who you are and you have to make relationships. And that's exactly what I have to do. Yeah. So give us a chance for a kind of like, how many
0: calls did you have to do to get these, these investors?
1: Yeah. Um, it's probably in the office from like, um, you know, nine to eight PM, and I was probably calling, probably six or seven hours a day, and I probably made like hundred and fifty calls a day when I was first starting. Talked to like twenty five or thirty people a day. Wow, wow, yeah. I mean, the, people, uh, the reason
0: why I'm asking is that people think it's it's easy, right? I mean, they're looking at you and they say, "Oh, yeah, look at him. He did all these transactions and stuff like that." And Yeah. And then they tried to go in. So they want, they are interested. They say, well, I want to be a commercial real estate broker. It sounds, it looks pretty easy. uh, But it took you weeks and weeks and weeks of calling, you know, six, seven hours a day, you know, all these phone calls, getting a lot of no's and then eventually you get one yes. And then you start working on that. And um, so that I want, I want people to know that, you know, things are not easy. You have to call you have to get out there. Uh, and, uh, as a broker, you, you know, you have to make things happen.
1: You can't just wait and sit for the, for, for the phone to ring basically. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, it, I think it was almost six months before I closed my first deal. And, um, you know, before that I had, you know, no money coming in, so no base salary, all commission, you eat what you kill. So, you know, that first year kills a lot of people. It's definitely a, a revolving door because not a lot of people can stand that, you know, going in the office for multiple hours and not making any money each day. So yeah, yeah, that's right. tough. Yeah. yeah. You have to be uh, disciplined, determined
0: and um, yeah. And then eventually you started uh, kind of acquiring your own property. So tell us about, uh, about that side of things.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, just Generally, I'm a very curious guy. So I saw my clients making a ton of money buying these investment properties here in San Diego. And I saw what I was selling it to them for as a buyer. And then I saw what I was listing them for when they sold a couple of years later. And um, you know, the returns were absolutely insane. Like people were buying, you know, eight units for two and a half million, selling them for four million dollars two years later, um, with some renovations. But um, I just think that you know, the most opportunity was definitely in being a principal and buying your own deals. And that's how you build true equity. I think any broker out there should, you know, save their commissions, not spend it and look to just buy a couple properties and keep growing that. Uh, Cause that's, what's going to pay for your retirement in the end. Um, not your commissions. Cause you know, as soon as you stop picking up the phone, you know, money stops coming in. Um, so I think I just understood that at a, you know, at a young age and had some good mentors that were, you know, some of my clients that were buying the area and um, I learned from them on what to look for and I saved my money, bought my first deal. And, um, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a very true. I mean, i talked to a lot of uh, real estate brokers
0: and even like, uh, you know, people that are a lot of salespeople that make, you know, a lot of they live on commission, they work on commission and then sometimes they get like huge amount of commission and then they have like two months where three months where they, there's nothing coming through. And then so they just kind of like live and, and live off the cash that they made. Uh, and I, my a big proponent of say, well, you should invest that money and then start building that passive income so that it's going to kind of like smooth out these uh, these ups and downs. It's going to smooth out these gaps in income that you might have. And um, so I think, yeah, you're very smart to kind of start thinking about
1: that very early on. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know better than me uh passive income is what it's about if you um you know, as soon as you stop working and the commissions don't come in, you know, your family could be in trouble. You never know what could happen to the market, right? Um yeah. volume, I mean, volume has slowed down significantly this year for brokerage compared to last year. I mean, we're still doing deals, but it's not anything like last year. Yeah. And there's a lot of lenders, a lot of loan brokers, a lot of residential agents that are hurting right now, so, you know, if maybe some of them save that money and bought some property they you know they'd be in a better spot yeah yeah
0: yeah so yeah let's talk about the the san san diego market and kind of how it's how it's going how does it compare to uh, to last year on the multifamily side i don't know if you know anything on the single family uh single family side the single family rentals especially that i'm interested in but um yeah so can you tell us a little bit about kind of how the market is doing over there
1: yeah so i i follow both single family multifamily, you know um office I, I follow all the product types just to see what's going on but um single family from last year is down depending on the sub market anywhere from like five to twelve percent um so prices are down a little bit here in san diego compared to the you know the crazy ride we had the last two years um, multi-family is held very strong there hasn't been a dip in prices um because usually when you know when you're in a very supply constrained market like you know san diego or la and Um, there's less buyers, less buyers in the single family home market. A lot of those buyers who can't afford homes anymore because the rising interest rates will flee to, you know, renting homes or renting apartments. So the rents have stayed very strong. They've actually kept increasing this year a little bit. So, um, the values on multifamily, as you know, are based upon what the rents are. So, um, you know, the cap rates haven't changed. Um, the rents have gone up. So multifamily has still steadily gone up this year uh volume is down there's a lot less transactions happening right now compared to last year a lot of people are in that like wait and see mode seeing where rates go because they've been so volatile so not a lot of people are making moves but there are players out there some institutional guys and you know private investors who are making moves but you know a lot of my clients are definitely have been you know sitting on the sidelines yeah so
0: yeah, I mean, so what do you think is going to happen with the interest rate? I know the Fed is increasing the interest rate, but that's not really the big driver on the mortgage rates. I mean, mm-hmm. it has to do with kind of like money supply, the ten-year note, the ten-year Treasury, and stuff like that. So, to, so what? I'll tell you what your tell me what your opinion is on the interest rate, the mortgage interest rate for commercial uh, loan, and maybe even like residential mortgages, and then I'll kind of like we can talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, For residential, I mean, um, I just listen to, you know, people who are, you know, in that business 24-7. And uh, one of my loan brokers I work with here in San Diego, um, he works really closely with one of the biggest, you know, residential lenders in the country, which is UWM, United Wholesale Mortgage. And the CEO thinks that, you know, from what he sees, he thinks that rates will be down in the fours next year. That's just his prediction, but who knows if he's right, but he thinks rates will go down next year. Um for commercial interest rates. Um, I, I ask a lot of questions about this as well to my loan brokers and uh, banks that I work with, like First Republic, Chase Bank. And um, they also think that rates will stay steady or go down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but commercial rates haven't been as high as residential. So um they think it'll be pretty steady. Yeah. I think yeah, I think it's kind of gonna be steady
0: at this point. That's kind of my feeling because I think the Fed is gonna be increasing the rate, but they're also tightening the money supply too. So that means that. There's going to be less acquisition on the uh, for the the bill the the, the ten year uh, T notes, and then that's going to keep the uh, the interest rate. So I mean, it has been up the last couple of weeks, and I think it was down like two weeks prior to that. Um, so I think that's I think it's going to go kind of sideways for a little bit, and also the demand for mortgages has dropped significantly. A lot of mortgage. Um, you know, mortgage mortgage lenders and uh, mortgage brokers—they've also laid off people because of the volume of mortgage has uh, has fall off the cliff basically. Um, so all of these for all these reasons, then you have less demand for mortgages, and I think that's going to potentially drive uh, it pushes it down, and then you have other factors that are pushing it up. So I think it's going to be kind of like going sideways for a little bit. That's kind of my feeling. But I don't think it, I don't see a big increase in mortgage rates. So that's the one thing that I don't I don't hear anybody saying that oh, mortgage rates is going to go right up. Even though I'm preparing for that, I thought, <laughs> but I want people to be aware that you know the, these some of these rates might actually go go up. And if they don't, that's fine. But be prepared for them to go up, so that if they go up, you're not you're not caught in a bad situation. Where your, um, you know, your mortgage payments go through the roof, and then you, you know, you can't afford them anymore. Agreed. You always got to prepare for the worst, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, So, what do you think in terms of a recession? How does that, um, how does that factor into your multifamily kind of uh, investments? If if we hit into a recession, and then we have like more layoffs and more, and the unemployment rate starts going up.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, um, I think it's going to be different by sub market. I think each city will be, you know, hit differently by what happens. I think there will be different percentages of losses or or market values. But like, for example, if you compare the Arizona market, Phoenix, compared to, you know, the San Diego market, I mean, um, or even Las Vegas, I mean, those values over there were so inflated that um, I could definitely see rents going down there significantly, which would, you know. Lower the property values significantly as well. So, um, I think it depends, you know, how uh, the supply is, how the supply and demand is in each market. But uh, I can't see, you know, most markets being hit too hard if you have good debt and you have, you know, you own property in a good location and you bought it at a good price. But if you overpay the last, you know, last 12 months and you can barely afford your mortgage payment right now, you could be in trouble for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're long term, if you have uh, if your debt
0: is a long term debt and if you're a long term investor, I think, you know, you don't have to worry about too much um, as long as your mortgage is also fixed for a longer period of time. uh, And it's not going to renew in the next uh, couple of months. Um, So that's that's going to be good. But I think that if you're a short term investor, if you're a a syndicator and you're counting on reselling that property in the next couple of couple of years, then that could be a a pretty bad situation because your loan is a little bit differently structured. Uh, Often they have like a a five year term or three year term loan. And then if the interest rate is going to be up in the next couple of uh, couple of years, then, you know, you could be hit with a massive uh, increase in payment. If we end up in a recession and you have high unemployment and the rates start going down, like in Phoenix, definitely. I know a lot of syndicators in Phoenix and I, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes right now um, <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, the property the supply of houses is going through the roof um, and then you have, you know, potentially I, I, Just like you said, I think the the rent is also going to go down and, you know, and the value of these commercial properties is driven by, um, by the net operating income and the gross rent. So, so yeah, so I think that that'd be a pretty tough, tough situation to be in, but your properties, the properties that you own, they're all in the San Diego area and the market's doing, is doing well over there. It's pretty stable.
1: Yeah. Um, all my units are, um in San Diego. And uh, yeah, it's been very stable. Nothing crazy yet. You know, we'll see what happens in the next couple of years. But as of right now, it's been pretty steady. Okay. Well, that's, that's very good. Um, so tell us about the, the, um, so we talked about kind of like, if you
0: want to be a, a commercial real estate broker, an agent, how to become, you know, to be someone that uh, people go to. Um, but how do you get started? If I'm interested in, getting started in multifamily if one of our listeners want to do that they they really are interested in multifamily they don't want to do anything residential let's say how do they get started they may not have like you know
1: millions of dollars to to buy this,
0: that multifamily but so how should they get
1: started yeah i mean the way i got started and the way that i think a lot of people could benefit from hearing hearing this is i think um if you buy your first property um if it's a two to four unit property you start with, which I highly recommend um, and you use an FHA loan and you put, you know, five to 10% down on a property and it needs a lot of work and there's a lot of upside. So what I mean by upside is you can buy it for, you know, a million dollars and it'll be worth a million five if you put the work in. And if you put in a hundred grand worth of work, it'll, you know, you'll build about 400 grand worth of equity minus commissions. If you sell it, Um, that's how I grew my portfolio really fast. I bought, um. I bought deals with high leverage. Um, I got, you know, first loans and then a second loan in the back. And I got, you know, I put like 10, 15% down on these smaller properties. And then I created a lot of value, a huge upside. And then a year later, I 1031 exchanged them into bigger buildings. So, um, I think my model worked really well to grow my portfolio quickly and didn't raise outside capital to do that. I think, um, if you, if you have a good partner and, um, like for example, I like, I found the deals, and my partner had a hard money fund, so like it was a perfect match. Like I I found the best deals, and he he had the best debt, so we kind of had that symbiotic relationship, and um, we ended up you know growing our portfolio that way. So okay, so you had a partner that was
0: basically your bank, and then you would go in, uh, kind of like you would find the deal, you would analyze the deal, put in, do all the the work there, and then you know he would. He would come up with the funds.
1: Who would manage the uh, the projects, the renovation projects? Is it both of you, or that was mostly me? So yeah, I um I manage the renovation projects uh, with the help of our property manager. But um you know I was kind of the asset manager, seeing everything, and he was kind of doing the back end stuff like the accounting and uh, the financials. So yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. So um, hard money lending. Have you thought of raising
1: any private money lending, pri- private money loans? Um, the private money loans that we've done have been like small, like second trust deeds behind like the first trust deeds behind like the banks that we work with, uh, banks that allow second trust deeds or mezzanine debt is, you know, you have have your first loan, you have a smaller second loan to get higher leverage for those who don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we use private money on, uh, on deals all the time, but not as much anymore because we've kind of went up into the, um. We built more equity now, so we don't need it as much. But when we're yeah. first getting started, and for anyone who's first getting started, I think you you want to have, you know, this is probably I mean, tread lightly, like don't get super high leverage on a deal because you'll lose your ass if it's on a great deal. So if you're doing these high leverage deals, make sure you're buying a really below market value property where you're building equity day one. Cause if you try to buy a property off the market that's renovated and you put you know, 90% leverage on it, you're probably gonna lose. So um, a lot of my deals were found off market through my relationships and through direct outreach. Yeah. Um, so I had access to really good, you know, below market value properties. Mm-hmm. So
0: you, can you still find below market value property uh, in,
1: in markets like San Diego? D- yes, you can, yep. Oh wow. Yeah. I'm I surprised. Three- <laughs> yeah, I have 3 in escrow right now. I mean, it it's it's tough, but um, you know, if you the percentages are much lower than like a less competitive market, but um, you know, you just got to keep trying and eventually when you find one, it's it's great, so it, it's yeah. worth the trouble for sure. What's the what's the cap rate right now that for these uh, undervalued uh, property? Um, so the pro forma cap rate is a 7, so, you know, oh. we, we're buying it for like a I mean, the current income is really low, of course. So the current income is like a three cap. And then we're going to help move the tenants somewhere else. And then after you do the renovations and do the work, the cost comes into like a seven cap and we can sell for like a four cap. So uh, makes sense. Oh, wow. That's ex- ex- excellent. And then you have,
0: you are able to, um, so I also, I mean, one of the reasons why I don't invest in California is uh, it's not the landlord friendly state. So uh, I want to be able to easily be able to not renew a lease if I don't want to. And then evict the tenant, not evict, but, you know, and then put a new, uh, do the renovations and put a new tenant in that market rate. Um, so, uh, so how do you handle that? Is there any special, anything special you have to do in San Diego to make that happen? Is it difficult?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're in a market in California like L.A. or San Francisco, it's impossible. I would never invest in those cities. But San Diego is a lot more lenient. Um, we do have the rent control law where you can only raise rents. It's AB fourteen eighty two. You can only raise rents five percent plus CPI every year to a max of ten percent. So right now CPI is obviously higher than five, so the max rent increase per year is ten yeah. percent. But if you if you're able to move that tenant out and you renovate it, you can you know market it for whatever rent you want. So that's great. So the only trouble you're going to have is um, you got to tread lightly when you're kicking out tenants. So when you're moving them out, um, you have to be very um, kind, friendly, treat them like a human being, um, offer to pay for a moving truck, offer to pay for like two months rent or even three months rent to help them move. Um, So you can't just kind of stick a six-day notice and hope they leave. You got to, you got to do a much more, much more of a light dance um, there's also another way where you can also you know pull permits for major renovations like a like a main panel electrical permit or a main sewer line permit and that can also help you have just cause to um, to remove the tenant but um, I, I, I learned that the first way works a lot better when you're actually trying to become friends and work yeah. with the tenant to get them out yeah, I mean, we try to do that as
0: well. Even though we go in the landlord-friendly states, I mean, we try to help them. We, we give them plenty of notice. Um, we especially it's hard to find sometime another apartment to move to move into an, another house. Uh, and then we help you know if they want us to help them pay for the truck or movers and stuff like that. I mean, for in some situation we we do that also. Uh, in the end, it's worth it's worth it for us to pay. Well, where we invest like a thousand dollars goes a long way. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's very good. Um, And then you said that, uh, so you do the value add and basically um, so that means that the renovations and all of that, then you bring your, uh, your mark, your, uh, your rent to market and then that really increases the value. So when you have, uh, when you have a 7% cap rate with the, the the market value income and you can sell it at 4%, that really is, is going to give you a very good profit. And, um, and so, so after that, when you sell that property, you would do a 1031 exchange. So how easy you, you do that systematically for everything or you just, uh, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, do I, I've never cashed out on a property. I've always rolled the equity into a bigger deal. So, um, you know, If you don't know what, what a 1031 exchange is, it's basically you have 45 days to identify a property you're going to buy, and then you have 180 days to close. And the 1031 exchange is a IRS tax code that basically allows investors to um, exchange their profits into a like-kind property and you defer property taxes or uh, uh, capital gains taxes. So, you know, if you were to sell, you know, a property and you had, let's say, profit, you'd have to pay, you know, 30 to 40% on that profit. Um, whereas if you do a 1031 exchange into a like kind property or a bigger asset, um, you know, you can turn that 200 grand and put it into, maybe you sold a house, you can put it into a fourplex and now you have four units. So, um, it's a very powerful way to grow your portfolio and grow your unit count. Yeah, exactly. So that, this is, uh, this is why I think like real estate investing
0: is such a great is such a great investment. You don't have anything else like this where you can actually defer taxes, pretty much forever, up until you want to have the money out later on. Uh, but then you can control how the money gets out. Uh, I mean, this is just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, you don't have that with stock. Uh, as soon as you sell the stock you pay you pay your capital gains tax there's no way to kind of like roll it into unless you go maybe opportunity zones but uh, you know you have to pay taxes right there and then so so that's this is very powerful there are obviously other tax advantages that you can do like are you doing also like uh, like bonus depreciation and stuff like that with uh, like the cost segregation yeah we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about about that kind of like uh, our listeners about how you how you handle these um, that cost segregation and what's the advantage of doing it that way.
1: Yeah, I mean for easy math, um, you know I think um, if you don't know, there's huge tax benefits to owning real estate. So if you buy a property for a million dollars, and um, basically the government has a tax code as well that allows you to depreciate. The cost of the building. So if you minus the cost of the building minus the land, that gives you the building value. So let's say the building value is, you know, $750,000. So for multifamily and for single family investments, you can uh, depreciate um, that $750,000 over 27 and a half years. So if you divide 750 by 27 and a half. That's like, you know. Um, oh, they, t- they can do their own math. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's like 27,200. So yeah. um, you can deduct that from your um, from your personal income each year. So it's very yeah. powerful. Yeah. But um, accelerated depreciation, aka cost segregation, which is what I do is basically you get with a cost segregation specialist and um, they allow you to, you know, take that 27 and a half year depreciation and turn it into either like you know, three to ten years. So, um, if you want to be really aggressive, you can do you know a couple of years. But um, let's say you do a ten-year schedule. So basically, you can take that seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of depreciation and depreciate seventy-five thousand dollars each year. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the downside is um, is after that ten years, you know, you won't have those tax benefits. So, um, I would highly recommend doing a ten thirty-one exchange and buying a new property so you can start that schedule over again. So, um, if you plan on holding that property forever, maybe it's not the best choice, but if you do plan on trading up, you want to maximize those deferrals so that you can get the max amount of, um, tax benefits against your personal income or your other real estate income.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And basically the, the advantage of that is that the, uh, what the cost aggregation does and I'm sorry for putting you on the, on the spot there, Jason, <laughs> but uh that's fine but basically you're breaking up the the building instead of uh this is a building now you're saying well the building is has air conditioning has uh, appliances has this has that and an air conditioning is not depreciated over 27 and a half year is depreciated over five year period uh same thing with appliances and all that kind of stuff so that cost segregation basically breaks it down, break, breaks the value of that building into all its different components and each component is depreciated individually. And then, uh, and then on top of that, when you add the bonus depreciation that, um, that was implemented like, uh, like two or three years ago or four years ago, um, you know, so that basically now you can depreciate all that air conditioning, you can depreciate that whole air conditioning from day one when you buy the property. So that's that's a great advantage, great um, you know, to take advantage of that. And that is gonna offset your income for that for that year. And you can actually also spread these these depreciation costs if there's anything left over. You can also they can also offset future years. So this is all perfectly legal. I know it sounds crazy, but this is all perfectly legal. This is all perfectly part of the of the system. And um, it's because they want people to invest in real estate. They understand how capital-intensive and how difficult it is to invest in real estate. And government recognizes that and gives some advantages to uh, people that uh, that want to do that by giving them these tax advantages. So, so this is very powerful. On top of that, you have the 1031 exchange. So it's like it's it's pretty amazing. So um, so yeah, so this is very good. Um, so any other kind of like. Um, Uh, suggestions or things that, uh, that you would want to tell our listeners to say, uh, you know, this, if you want to invest in, uh, in multifamily, in commercial real estate, you know, this, these are the things that you need, you need to do. You need to focus on this. You need, maybe if you don't have, uh, if you're not good with money or if you're not good with this, if you're not good with that, like, you know, how do you partner up find the right partners and stuff like that? So any kind of other advice you can give them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the most important advice I can give is that real estate is all about the deal. The deal is the trophy. If you have the deal, you can figure out everything else out. Um, so I think in order to get a hold of these deals, you have to, if you're first getting started, you have to meet the people who have control of the deals. So um, you want to have great broker agent relationships. You want to meet uh, people that are, you know, maybe wholesaling properties or people that are, Um, just know a lot of owners such as property managers, et cetera, just getting your name out there and trying to tell people as many people as you can, what you're looking for is step one. In my opinion, if you're looking to get started in real estate, um, you know, of course you got to have your finances down, but even if you have no money and you don't have the money to put down on a property, um, if you have, you know, an experienced partner or someone that, you know, in your network who owns a lot of real estate and they're open to partnering with you if you have a good deal, I mean, that's a great way to get started because you're providing value by finding a good deal while they have the money. They can just sit on their couch and watch TV while you bring them all the deals and you'll both make money. But of course, you're bringing all the hustle and the time and that person's bringing all the money. So um, it's just a great uh, relationship. You can start to uh, grow your portfolio. It's the best way to get going. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. So I think, yeah, I always say like, you know, once you're finding the deal is is a skill in itself that you can find the deal. Sometimes just bringing, being the wholesaler on the commercial side too, like finding the deal and say, this deal works great. And then, you know, uh, a, a commercial real estate investor, or you call Jason and say, do you want to invest this <laughs> with me? Um, you know, I, I know that if someone comes with me with uh, a commercial <clears throat> a commercial real estate deal, uh, I'm going to cut them into the deal. I'm going to either like give them uh, a fee, a referral fee, or I'm going to cut them as part of the deal, as part of the GP um, so that they can they can experience that and they, if they want to put more effort into the deal, then they can also do that. So there's always all kinds of ways, but the key is finding that deals and then working that deals. And then you, when that opens a lot of doors, then you have a lot of things to talk about to other investors and lenders. Exactly. Well said. So, uh, Jason, so thank you very much uh, for your time. Uh, so, I know you're very, uh, you know, so if a lot of people out there want to invest in commercial real estate and multifamily in San Diego, how would they connect with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, easiest ways to connect with me on my socials. Uh, my Facebook is just my first and last name, Jason Lee. And then my Instagram, um, YouTube, everything else is, and Twitter is Jason Joseph Lee, my full name. So, if you want to shoot me a DM on social media, that's the easiest way. Uh, I can give you some free help. Excellent. Well, thank you very
0: Thank you, Jason. Thank you for your time. And talk to you later. Thanks, Eric.
1: Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martel. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.